this episode of The Nature's Living Show, Vitamin D and Sunshine. This episode of The Nature's Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca first started getting involved in naturism in my late teens, early 20s, and that would have been in the uh, mid to late 80s, um, the big message that was coming out everywhere was about how bad the sun was for you, how you had to cover up completely, how you had to stay indoors, stay in the shade, wear SPF 1000 all the time, and a tan was a sign of skin damage, and it was bad. And, and of course... One of the things I loved about naturism was just how great the sun feels on your skin and how wonderful it is to be in the sun and how it makes you happy. So I was having a really hard time with that advice. And I just basically concluded that, uh, well, it didn't make any sense to me and it perhaps it was a vice that I had. You know, some people smoke, some people drink. And for me, perhaps sunshine was it and I just couldn't get away and I was addicted to it. I needed it. It made me feel good. It made me feel happier. And so I, I, I kind of assumed that it was the way it was, and I felt a little bit guilty and bad about it, but I did it anyway. And then in the 90s, I started finding occasional articles and information, and I started collecting the information. And so in 1999, against all that was the common wisdom, I wrote an article for Going Natural that brought out a certain number of articles and studies and research that had been done that showed that actually the sun wasn't that bad. And if, if nothing else, it certainly helped with seasonally affected disorder, also known as SAD for people who got depressed in the winter, particularly in the northern parts of the continent. And uh, there was some evidence that actually prevented some cancer. And there was a lot of research that conflicted. Um, there was one study that showed that in the Navy, those who had consistent exposure to sun in the U.S. Navy, in other words, they were on deck more often than they were below deck because that's where their job was, had actually a lower incidence of skin cancer than those below deck. And then there were uh, other studies that show that the f- closer you get to the equator, the less incidence of skin cancer there was. But that research, and there was many other studies that uh, I referred to in that article in 1999, that research and, and that opinion was very much against the grain. And every dermatologist was and was publishing and, and advising people to stay out of the sun and wear long sleeves and avoid the sun at all costs. And I had to really dig to find this information. And I started to wonder why it was that that information was so hard to find, but that the message that the sun was bad was so everywhere, was ubiquitous, you couldn't get away from it. And of course, when you looked at the sponsorships behind uh, most of those messages and the campaigns and the PR, it was the sunblock people, the sunscreen people, the people who had everything to gain from scaring people into staying out of the sun um, and wearing sunblock to prevent the sun when they had to go out because you can't really stay indoors all the time and you don't want to. It's not natural. But more recently, 
some evidence has started to come through. I mean, it's become actually really overwhelming. I won't bother taking you through every study that I had, but some are just worth mentioning. Um, and, and in fact, the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Globe and Mail, which is a newspaper, a daily newspaper in Toronto, uh, had an article in April of 2007 by uh, Martin Milstad. And he reported on the number of studies that were out there that showed that vitamin D was important and the sunshine was really important. And I love this quote, so I'm going to read it exactly. He said, Those studying the vitamin say that the hide-from-sunlight advice has amounted to the health equivalent of a foolish poker trade. Anyone practicing sun avoidance has traded the benefit of a reduced risk of skin cancer, which is easy to detect and treat and seldom fatal, for an increased risk of the scary, high-body-count cancers such as breast, prostate, and colon that appear linked to vitamin D shortages. I mean, wow, I mean, that's, that, I mean, that's powerful. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, and you know, it's typical of what I was saying in 1999. We have this need as a species to decide if something is good or bad. We can't be in between. For a while, we thought alcohol was bad for you, so there was going to be no alcohol prohibition. We now re- recognize that moderate alcohol use is actually healthy. And I'm sure it's the same with sunshine. If you abuse it like we did in the 70s and burn to a crisp, I'm sure sunburn in particular is very bad for you. That, I'm sure, is unhealthy and leads to problems. Anything you abuse is unhealthy. You can actually drink so much water that you'll, it will kill you. I mean, everything can be bad in extremes. And many of these studies were suggesting that the, the sunshine was very, very important. Um, the researchers at the Harvard School of Public Health and Harvard Medical School presented a study in 2005, and that study showed that patients with high vitamin D intake who had surgery in the months with lots of sun were more than twice as likely to be alive five years after surgery compared to patients with low vitamin D intake who had wintertime operations. In 2007, uh, there's, there are some researchers at the Crichton University in Nebraska uh, published the results of a four-year study with uh, over 1,100 women. And those who took vitamin D and calcium supplements were 77% less likely to develop cancer. Uh, Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto concluded also in a 2008 uh, study that women who were deficient in what they call the sunshine vitamin, which is vitamin D, when diagnosed with breast cancers, were 94% more likely to have their cancer spread and were 73% more likely to die than women with adequate vitamin D levels. And it's not just cancer. Uh, There's been lots of studies that have come out in the last 10 years that show it helps with hypertension, diabetes, uh, osteoporosis, influenza, psoriasis, seasonally affected disorder, uh, premenstrual syndrome, sleep disorder, autoimmune diseases, and more and more and more. I mean, it's incredible how important. And really, it makes sense. It makes sense because anything that we crave so badly, there must be a reason why we want it. I mean, we crave sugar, we crave fat, we crave salt. These are all very important parts of our diet. Of course, when we abuse them, we have too much fat, too much salt, too much sugar, we have problems. But we crave it because in nature, we wouldn't be able to get it in the quantity that we can now get them with this technology that we have. So we would be seeking it out because without them, without adequate salt, 
without adequate uh, sugar for energy, without fat, actually, uh, we would have some serious problems in terms of how we, our body would operate and how we would develop from children. There was actually a study that showed that children on low-fat diets have problems with brain development. So things we crave are important, and we need to listen to our body, but be aware that we don't abuse it. And sunshine, obviously, is the same thing. Why do we crave it? Everybody loves to be in the sun. It feels so good. There must be a really important reason for that. And when you look at the, um, whether you believe in evolution or whether you believe in uh, creationism, there must be a reason that those humans in the northern regions of the world, where there was much less sun, particularly in winter, developed lighter skin. The lighter skin in the northern areas developed and evolved because, or was, if you believe in God's creation, was there because we needed the sun so badly and we need the vitamin D that we would have a survival advantage. We would survive better if we could intake more vitamin D. I mean, isn't that obvious? So one of the experts, actually, that I've read a lot about is uh, Dr. Michael Hollick. He's a professor of medicine, uh, physiology and biophysics. He's uh, at Boston University Medical Center. He's a director of General Clinical Research Center at Boston University, and he's also the director of the Bone Health Care Clinic. And he's spent 30 years uh, researching vitamin D and cancer. He's got hundreds of publications. And specifically, he has two books, one called The UV Advantage, and the other one called a vitamin D solution. He's really one of the top experts when it comes to this kind of information and these kinds of studies. He's been speaking all over the world on the topic. So I thought I should give him a call and get the answers straight from him. So what follows is my conversation with Dr. Hollick. Dr. Hollick, you've uh, become one of the world's experts on vitamin D and cancer over the several decades that you've been working on this topic. How did you first get involved with this subject? Um, when I was a graduate student at the University of Wisconsin uh, in 1969, I was in the biochemistry department and was looking for a mentor. And at the time, you know, in typical fashion, everybody wants to be working in the hottest areas, but often those positions are already taken by more senior people. And so I was advised to work for, for this uh, young new investigator, Dr. DeLuca, uh, in the field of vitamin D. And my response was kind of, why would I want to work on vitamin D? And uh, I met him. Uh, it seemed interesting. And in the end, it turned out to be in the right place at the right time. And I, I realized that vitamin D had a lot of, of importance for human health and has stuck in the field uh, ever since. When you first started working on vitamin D research, I assume nobody knew there was any connection between vitamin D and cancer at that point. No, not at all. I mean, they, everybody basically knew vitamin D as being a fat-soluble vitamin found in cod liver oil, prevents rickets in children. We don't see rickets commonly. So people just thought of vitamin D as kind of the ho-hum vitamin that you know everybody can get from their diet and not to worry about it. So when was this important connection between vitamin D and cancer first made? Well, in the uh, vitamin D solution, uh, I, I point out that uh, 
even as early as 1979, I began to realize that as the message was going out to the public that they should avoid all sun exposure, that I appreciated that it was sunlight that's provided humans with their vitamin D requirement for thousands and thousands of years. And I began to worry back in the 1980s about vitamin D deficiency becoming a serious health problem and having very um, onerous consequences for both children and adults. Well, back then you were going completely against the accepted ideas about uh, sunshine. So did you face a lot of criticism for making that suggestion? Initially, I, I was being tolerated because nobody really took me very seriously. I, I had um, spent about a decade asking a simple question. How do you make vitamin D in your skin? Where is it made? Does latitude, season, uh, skin pigmentation, sunscreen use, aging have any effect on vitamin D synthesis? And I basically wrote the book on how you make vitamin D and factors that regulate vitamin D in your skin. And all of a sudden, it, it dawned on me that not only does the skin make vitamin D, but it actually has a vitamin D receptor, and it was responsive to vitamin D. So I then introduced the concept that potentially you could use the active form of vitamin D, which I had discovered as a graduate student, to treat a very common skin disorder called psoriasis. And it was at that time that I realized that vitamin D was not only important for bone health, but was very important in regulating cell growth, including skin cells and then ultimately prostate, colon, and breast cancer cells. Your first book, The UV Advantage, had some dramatic conclusions based on some really incredible numbers. It must have had quite an impact when it was released. Yeah, and in the new book, uh, The Vitamin D Solution, I actually recount what happened, which was in 2004, as that book was being launched, um, I gave it to a, a close friend and collaborator and associate who was head of dermatology, Dr. Barbara Gilchrist, who had uh, nominated me for the Psoriasis Research Award in the year 2000 and gave it to me. And when I gave her my book and, and read it, and I apparently it was sent off to the American Academy of Dermatology, uh, I was called into her office and she fired me. And she's quoted as saying that Hollick resigned after it became clear his message was doing a disservice to the field and the public. She termed the epidemic of vitamin D deficiency weak and absurd, and linking it to medical illness was schlock science. And even back in 2004, most people still believed that, that, you know, suggesting that vitamin D could cut your risk of cancer and multiple sclerosis and diabetes and reduce risk of heart disease was just thought to be, you know, kind of outside the norm. Um, but over the past four or five years, there's basic, basically been a study on vitamin D almost every week demonstrating all the health benefits of vitamin D and basically supporting what I had been promoting for the past two decades. But why is it, do you think, that the message up to then had been so one-sided? Because there had been studies back in the early 90s, maybe even I think it was late 80s, that showed that there might be a lot more to vitamin D than people actually thought there was. 
Yeah, you're very insightful. And in the vitamin D solution, I point out that I actually worked with the Garland brothers in San Diego. They were really pioneers in recognizing that the higher the latitude that you live in the United States, higher was your risk for developing colorectal cancer, ovarian cancer, and breast cancer. Um, and then that was followed by many other studies showing that women that had the highest blood levels of 25-hydroxy vitamin D, it's the measure of vitamin D status, had more than 50% reduced risk of developing breast cancer. But again, it was kind of hard to believe that this simple vitamin could be having all these health benefits. And it wasn't until about the mid-90s, working with Dr. Gary Schwartz in South Carolina, that we began to understand why. Not only does your body activate vitamin D in your liver and ultimately goes to your kidneys to be the active form of vitamin D, but in the mid-90s, we realized that the prostate, colon, breast, and many other tissues activated vitamin D for the purpose of regulating probably hundreds of genes that control cell growth and help control insulin production, help control blood pressure, help control um, vascular smooth muscle function, all of which are related ultimately to many serious chronic diseases if um, you don't have adequate vitamin D on board. The importance of vitamin D to me is actually fairly obvious even from an evolutionary standpoint because vitamin D is so important that uh, the people who were in the northern areas of the planet had a lighter skin uh, or developed a lighter skin in order to get more vitamin D. So clearly it's such an important uh, vitamin to our survival that it even affected the way we evolved. Yeah, in the, in the vitamin D solution, I, I recount that if you think about this evolutionarily, um, we know now that the, these dark, hairy Neanderthals that you know, we've always, they've always been portrayed as, I can never understand how they could have survived in a northern European climate because they couldn't have made very much vitamin D. And it turns out that their DNA is now uncovered, that they were red-headed and Celtic, and that's important because we also know that if a female child has vitamin D deficiency, she winds up having a deformed pelvis and having either a difficult time or impossible time with childbirthing. So within a few generations, people as they migrated north and south of the equator had to lose their skin pigment in order for them to be able to procreate. So is there a difference between taking uh, vitamin D supplements in a pill form or getting it directly from the sun? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And in the vitamin D solution, I point out, because we did a study um, and others have done a similar study, is that when you make vitamin D in your skin, it lasts two to three times longer in your body than when you take it from dietary sources or a, a supplement. So if you get your vitamin D uh, as a supplement, and so the sun is not uh, generating vitamin D under your skin, there must be some chemical in your skin that is still waiting there that is, uh, hasn't been changed by the sunshine into vitamin D. Is that right? It turns out that um, you can only make vitamin D from um, sun exposure or it has to be made chemically by ultraviolet irradiation of the precursor of vitamin D. 
Those are the only two sources. So you can get it as a supplement, but they have to make it. And the only way to make it is by exposing the precursor of cholesterol, which is 7-dehydrocholesterol, to ultraviolet radiation, similar to sunlight, and it makes vitamin D. But this process occurs naturally in your skin. As soon as you're exposed to sunlight, between the hours of about 10 a.m. and 3 p.m., you instantly begin making vitamin D in your skin in the spring, summer, and fall. So if a person doesn't get enough vitamin D directly from sunshine, what happens to those uh, precursors to vitamin D? Do they just sit there or does something happen? Excellent question. And um, we've shown that the precursor of cholesterol just simply gets converted to cholesterol. And it's made in your upper uh, layers of your skin. And those are the layers of the skin that eventually die off. So um, nothing happens to it. Uh, if you don't use it, you lose it. So clearly the best way to get the vitamin D is through sunshine. But uh, for those of us who live in the, uh, away from the equator, in the winter, right. we wouldn't get enough uh, sunlight to, to generate the vitamin D. Is that right? So yeah, in the vitamin D solution, I actually provide tables because you'll be surprised that if you live above Atlanta, Georgia, so you're not living in a northern climate, if you live above Atlanta, Georgia, you essentially cannot make any vitamin D in your skin from November through February. And so what's the solution then? Well, the solution is simple, which Mother Nature designed, and that is that our hunter-gatherer forefathers were outside basically every day exposed to some uh, moderate sun exposure, so they didn't really damage their skin, and they made enough vitamin D to satisfy the requirement, and they made a little bit more, which was stored in their body fat. And then as their body fat was being used in the wintertime, the vitamin D was being released. Now, of course, is that obesity is a major health issue. And it turns out that obesity is associated with vitamin D deficiency. And we know why, because we did the study. It turns out that there's so much body fat that it basically holds on to the vitamin D and doesn't release it. So obese people, as a result, need two to three times more vitamin D to satisfy the requirement. So if I understand what you're saying, if a person got enough sunshine and built up enough vitamin D, therefore, during the peak time, the peak summer season where there's enough sunlight, we wouldn't need to take supplements even in the winter. Is that right? Um, evolutionarily, that's exactly uh, what was happening. But now our, our society has become sun, so sun-phobic that basically very few people ever get enough vitamin D from sun exposure. It's mainly uh, outdoor workers, you know, it's their occupation is to, is to be outdoors, um, or, or um, you know, people that, um, you know, like to garden, play tennis on the weekends like myself. Um, I usually recommend exposing arms and legs, maybe back and abdomen, depending upon how, what the temperature is outside, a couple of times a week for an amount of time that it's about half the time that would cause a, a, what's called a light pinkness to your skin. It's called a minimal erythemal dose. And then wear good sun protection. You can always protect your face. It's only 9% of your body surface, so it doesn't really make that much vitamin D. And it's the most sun exposed and the most sun damaged. And basically, that's what our hunter-gatherer forefathers were probably doing. So there is a danger in having too much sun exposure as well. 
just like anything else in life, too much of anything is probably not good for you. And that includes sun exposure. Excessive chronic sun exposure will increase risk of non-melanoma skin cancer. But as pointed out, in 1941, it was curious uh, that uh, Apperly, Dr. Apperly reported that if you live in the Northeast, you are more likely to die of cancer than if you live down south, even though he recognized that you had more sun exposure down south, that you would get these non-melanoma skin cancers, which he said were easy to detect and easy to treat, but now permitted you to you know, be at less risk for dying of prostate, colon, breast, and the more deadly cancers. So what about the option of using a tanning bed in the winter months to generate vitamin D naturally in your skin? Um, do you think that's a good option? Um, and it's a good question. And in the vitamin D solution, I, I try to put this into perspective. And basically, I don't advocate tanning. Um, and I certainly don't advocate burning. But for those that wish to use a tanning bed for their vitamin D in the wintertime, what I recommend is you go in for 50% of the time recommended for tanning and always wear sun protection on your face. And you'll be able to make a lot of vitamin D. We actually did a study in tanners in Boston and showed that tanners had robust, healthy levels of vitamin D in the range of about 40 to 50, whereas um, adults matched for both sex and age at the same time had levels of around 18. They were all vitamin D deficient. And we looked at their bone density. They actually had higher bone density than their age matched controls that were not exposed to a tanning bed. So tanning beds can be effective. And also, if people have fat malabsorption, uh, it's estimated that 10 million Americans have some kind of what's called inflammatory bowel disease, so they can't absorb vitamin D very well, that the tanning bed option as I recommend it in the vitamin D solution, uh, is a very good way to do that. So what happens when children and adults are deficient in vitamin D? So I'll give you some examples. Um, we showed recently that, um, that more than 76% of pregnant women at our hospital at the time that they were giving birth were vitamin D deficient. 81% of their infants were vitamin D deficient. Even though they were taking up to 600 units of vitamin D from both their uh, uh, prenatal vitamin and their calcium and vitamin D supplement, we also showed that women at the time that they give birth have a fourfold increased risk of having to have a cesarean section because vitamin D is so important for muscle function compared to women that were vitamin D sufficient. We also reported that preeclampsia, one of the most serious complications of pregnancy, is associated with vitamin D deficiency. For children, um, I I've, I've, um, have talked to a lot of pediatricians, and if you go back 100 years, it was well documented that one of the first signs and symptoms in infants for vitamin D deficiency was head sweating at night. And the reason is that when you're vitamin D deficient, it increases the neuromuscular activity, including that of your sweat glands. And so as a result, they sweat profusely. For children that are vitamin D deficient for their first several years of life could permanently stunt their growth. And for adults, 
what happens is not only can it cause osteoporosis, but it also causes the painful bone disease, osteomalacia, which is often misdiagnosed as fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome. And often I see patients, especially in the wintertime, complaining of aches and pains in their bones and muscles. And they say, well, I'm getting a little bit older. You know, I'm not as active in the wintertime. No, these are classic symptoms for vitamin D deficiency. And to treat it, I recommend, at least for the physicians, uh, is that patients take 50,000 units of vitamin D once a week for eight weeks. And that's basically 6,000 units a day to fill up the vitamin D empty tank. And once you fill it, the other problem is then people think that, well, we've solved the problem. But you didn't solve the problem because you didn't solve the problem of the cause, which is you weren't getting enough vitamin D in the first place. And so I give them 50,000 units every two weeks thereafter as a prescription. And we just completed a six-year study and showed that them taking 3,000 units a day equivalent, that their blood levels were robust in the 40 to 60 nanogram range. So I recommend that children should be taken at a minimum 400 units of vitamin D a day, which is now the recommendation from the American Academy of Pediatrics. But I think that 1,000 units is actually better for them and more healthy. Teenagers and all adults should be on taking at least 2,000 units of vitamin D a day to maximize their health. We finally see in the last few years uh, that professionals are increasing the uh, recommended amount of vitamin D, but people seem to be a little uncertain and unsure, and they don't want to go too far with that recommendation. But is there uh, a downside to having too much vitamin D? It's an excellent question, and it turns out that we did a study um, uh, with Dr. Heaney uh, in Omaha, Nebraska. We gave healthy adults 10,000 units of vitamin D a day for almost a half a year with no toxicity, even though both physicians and the public think that vitamin D is one of the most toxic, fat-soluble vitamins. There's nothing further from the truth. There are essentially one or two reported cases of over-fortification of foods or mislabeling of foods with vitamin D leading to intoxication maybe once every two to three years. It's that rare a condition. What about foods that contain vitamin D? Do they have any impact on vitamin D deficiency? Are they a good substitute? Any source of vitamin D is good for you. And so dairy products contain 100 units in a serving, such as a glass of milk. So I personally drink three glasses of skim milk a day, and most of my family members do the same. So I'm getting 300 units from that source. Multivitamin contains 400 units. I drink a glass of orange juice that's fortified with calcium and vitamin D. Both sources are good. Another 100 units. And then I take a two thousand unit capsule of uh, vitamin D uh, a day as well and as a result have a robust healthy level of 25 hydroxy vitamin D which is what of course the doctor orders to determine your your vitamin D status what about vegetables do any of them have vitamin D as well yeah it turns out that no vegetable has vitamin D but it turns out that uh, in the produce section that mushrooms can be a good source of vitamin D. And if you look on the USDA chart for the major foods that contain vitamin D, number one is wild-caught salmon, and then number two is mushrooms. 
and especially mushrooms that have been exposed to ultraviolet radiation, similar to sunlight. And does cooking have any impact on vitamin D? It's an excellent question. And so in the vitamin D solution, I point out that you can bake salmon, for example, you can bake bread that contains vitamin D, and it's very, very stable. In fact, the yeast manufacturers are now taking advantage of that because yeast can make huge amounts of vitamin D when they're exposed to ultraviolet radiation. And now you could use the yeast to raise the dough to make bread, and the temperature of the oven will not destroy that vitamin D. So it's an excellent way to get your vitamin D. Humans are fairly unique because so much of our skin is exposed to the sun. We don't have hair or feathers. But are there any other animals that uh, make as much use of vitamin D in their bodies as we do? We've done studies in a wide variety of animals from um, frogs, lizards, and even birds. When exposed to sunlight, they make vitamin D. So, for example, you may say, well, how is the bird going to make vitamin D if it's covered with feathers? And so we actually looked at that, and we took some chickens, and we looked at whether or not maybe the vitamin D was made on the feathers. It's not. We looked on their back skin, which are covered with feathers, and there's essentially none of the vitamin D precursor. But 10 times the amount of the vitamin D precursor was on the legs and on the comb which made sense because those are the only areas that weren't covered with feathers and you could be able to make vitamin D. And for mammals, you know, any area on a mammal that isn't covered heavily in hair, they're able to make vitamin D. And so even uh, lower primates, apes, for example, when they're exposed to sunlight all the time, that some of the sunlight filters through and they make vitamin D. The one animal that cannot are cats. And they depend solely on their diet for their vitamin D requirement. And that includes the wild cats as well. I've never, I've never got out to to take a sample from a lion or a tiger, uh, but we do know that domesticated cats don't, and we suspect that's probably a feline um, issue. That because they eat the whole animal right, uh, that animal likely had made vitamin D and had some vitamin D stored in its fat. So as a result, it was getting all the vitamin D that it needed. We did a study uh, with Dr. Seeger and Dr. Rosen up in, in Maine looking at black bears at the time they were hibernating and uh, collected their blood um, and showed that, in fact, they're getting vitamin D from their diet. Um, and they store it in their body fat and release it uh, during their hibernation. I did read as well, there was a study that showed that uh, getting sunshine helps with hypertension and lowers cholesterol and helps people with high blood pressure. So is that related to vitamin D as well? We did a study um, looking at that issue because it's known that the higher the latitude that you live, higher is your risk of having high blood pressure. So we took hypertensive patients and put them in a tanning bed and exposed them to vitamin D-producing sunlight, simulated sunlight, and took a group and put them in a tanning bed that looked exactly the same, except we blocked out the vitamin D-producing rays. The group that was exposed to the vitamin D-producing tanning bed raised their blood levels 180% 
all became normal tensive, that their blood pressure became normal. And those subjects that were in the tanning bed that had only UVA showed no benefit for their hypertension. We know vitamin D regulates the blood pressure hormone renin and has effects on vascular smooth muscle. And that's why we think vitamin D is having such a dramatic effect, not only in reducing hypertension, but reducing risk of heart attack by as much as 50%. It's interesting because as humans, we seem to crave things we need. Of course, when we have too easy access to it, we might abuse it. But with, in the case of sunshine, you know, for, for decades, uh, people were saying, stay out, stay out, stay out, sun is bad. And yet people couldn't keep Uh, you couldn't keep people out of the sun. They, they, they seem to need it so badly that they would ignore the advice. It's true. And in the vitamin D solution, I also point out that we did the study and others have done similar studies to show not only do you make vitamin D in your skin when you're exposed to sunlight, but you make beta endorphin, which of course is the endogenous opioid that gives runners their high. Now, I'll leave you with one last thought because there was a lot of controversy about vitamin D2, which you find that comes from yeast and is in supplements versus vitamin D3, which comes from salmon and also is made in your skin and whether they work the same in humans. And in the vitamin D solution, um, I point out that they have exactly the same biologic activity in humans. Well, it sure sounds like your latest book, The Vitamin D Solution, is a must-read for everybody. Would a person be able to read that book without having read the first one, The UV Advantage? Um, yes, um, that I um, give a lot of background information in the book. Uh, I recount um, several stories that will hopefully give them perspective about vitamin D and health uh, from a baby gorilla that had severe vitamin D deficiency and the potential uh, risk of her dying or Uh, certainly, um, her, her growth snap and permanently stunted to the National Zoo um, and Komodo dragons. Um, and then really to give the reader a good appreciation for what vitamin D is, how it's getting activated, what blood level of vitamin D do you want to ask your doctor to measure to determine your vitamin D status, how to treat and prevent vitamin D deficiency for children and adults, And I even give tables for what my recommendations are for various age groups as to how much vitamin D they need to maximize their health. So is this uh, an academic book, or can anyone read this and get something out of it? Oh, this is definitely for the lay public. Uh, it's an easy read. Um, Dr. Andrew Weil was very kind to write the forward for the book, and I've had several very famous authors also write blurbs about the book. Um, it really gives the public an opportunity um, to be very much aware of their vitamin D status and be able to control in many ways um, the amount of vitamin D that they and their family members take to maximize their health. Well, that's all for this episode of The Naturist Living Show. Thank you again for listening. I really appreciate all the comments and suggestions you keep sending. Several of the shows that we've done in the past have been based on emails I've received from you, our listener. 
I really appreciate getting them all the time. It's, it really keeps me going, and, and it, it's very encouraging. My name is Stéphane Deschaines, and I am the owner of Baroque's Family Naturist Park and your host for the Naturist Living Show. The show's email address is naturistliving at baroques.ca. That's B-A-R-E, oaks.ca. Naturistliving at baroques.ca. Join us again in about a month for the next episode of the Naturist Living Show. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. Traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bareoaks.ca.